Hello, and welcome back to Primer, the podcast about all things Amazon. As ever, I'm your host, Alex Press, and this week I spoke with Casper Helderblum, the Make Amazon Pay Coordinator for the Progressive International. Before we get to that conversation, I'd like to remind you that while all the episodes are free, if you are so inclined, you can support the show by subscribing to our Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash primer podcast. So this week we're talking about Black Friday. No, I'm not going to tell you where to find good deals, though maybe the show would get sponsors if I did that. Instead, we're talking about how people around the world are organizing against Amazon on this sales holiday. For Amazon workers, much as we've discussed about Prime Day, Black Friday means higher injury rates as orders flood in, quotas go up, pace speeds up. As the Center for Investigative Reporting found in 2019, Amazon warehouse workers' injuries spike in the period between Black Friday and Christmas. As I mentioned, my guest this week is Casper Helderblum, the Make Amazon Pay Coordinator for the Progressive International. The Progressive International is a transnational organization of left-leaning activists, and it's helping coordinate the Black Friday Day of Action along with Uniglobal Union. You may remember Uniglobal Union from our previous episode where we spoke to Christy Hoffman, who is Uniglobal Union's general secretary. As a refresher, it's a union federation that's affiliated with some 150 unions representing 20 million workers around the world. The organizations are together under the banner of the Make Amazon Pay Coalition, which also organized Black Friday actions last year, too. The coalition brings together a huge range of people, from workers in their unions to community organizations to other non-governmental organizations. This year on Black Friday, the coalition expects people in 20 countries to engage in protests and strikes against Amazon. As Kelly Nantel, director of national media relations at Amazon, told Motherboard, which first reported on the Black Friday plan, quote, these groups represent a variety of interests, end quote. Indeed, that's the point. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Casper about what we can expect on Black Friday this year. Enjoy. Casper, thanks so much for joining us on Primer. Thanks for having me. So let's just start with what the plan is for Black Friday. I know there are a lot of plans. So what's happening to target Amazon? On Black Friday, um, we will have our third global day of action, um, our third planetary mobilization to make Amazon pay, um, which excitingly this year will include a transnational strike against Amazon on which uh, thousands of warehouse workers, but also delivery workers in multiple countries will uh, put down their work in protest against the exploitation that the corporation is famously uh, guilty of. Uh, but that's just on the on, on the side of the warehouse workers and delivery workers that we very often hear about in, in the media already. Now, in addition to that, we will also have up and down Amazon's global supply chain uh, protests and solidarity actions from um, everyone that is engaged in Amazon's supply chain. So from tech workers um, in Seattle to uh, garment workers uh, that produce directly for Amazon in Bangladesh and in uh, Cambodia, um, as well as workers that you wouldn't perhaps commonly associate uh, with the work that Amazon does, but nonetheless are very much involved in its global supply chain. So, for example, um, Amazon Web Services, you know, delivers key software to big oil. Um, so we will have activists uh, outside oil refineries at different locations uh, come out uh, against uh, Amazon facilitation of climate destruction. Um, we'll have, you know, similarly environmentalists uh, who are, you know, understandably very upset about much the same issue in very different parts of the planet, not necessarily outside outside refineries, um, but in regional headquarters, come out with, um, you know, with with the same message. Um, we'll have tax justice activists do much the same. 
Um, and so all of these people from the workers and their activist allies of different activist stripes um, are rallying around one and the same uh, flag, namely that of Make Amazon Pay. Right. So what is the history of Make Amazon Pay as a coalition? How did that form? And what's the sort of trajectory been over the years? Right. So the Make Amazon Pay Coalition is a very diverse group of uh, workers and uh, their activist allies in a lot of different sort of uh, activist uh, silos. Um, and the analysis at the beginning of, of the campaign, the way the campaign was born, was that Amazon is both a transnational and a cross-sectional entity that has been able to amass as much power as it has exactly because it is that, right? So it operates across national uh, borders, it operates across geographies, and it operates across uh, sectors. And so what you often see, or what you often used to see, is that uh, those who rally against uh, uh, Amazon's business model and the incredible amount of power uh, that it has concentrated in, in the hands of so few, um, were doing so in a rather isolated way, right? So they would take on, for example, the fact that Amazon didn't pay any tax uh, in perhaps one particular jurisdiction. Uh, they would fight uh, local conditions in warehouses, um, you know, they would they would fight the environmental impact, uh, but from one particular place. And in our analysis, if you want to uh, make a stand against uh, a huge entity like Amazon, you have to mirror its uh, its own structure. So we too, as you know, a progressive front that is trying to fight back against Amazon's multifaceted exploitation, have to be just like the corporation itself is transnational and cross sectional. And so from that basic analysis, we started to build a coalition that was precisely that. So that brought in unions from all over the globe, uh, that brought in uh, organizations like, um, you know, Greenpeace and 350.org when it comes to environmental justice, uh, that brought in Tax Justice Network when it comes to tax justice, that brought in data for um, black lives when it comes to the racial justice angle, et cetera, et cetera, to reflect the, the cross-sectional nature uh, of, of the threat that, uh, that Amazon poses. Uh, but also really to bring in people that are fighting in completely different locations that, you know, for way too long have remained separate so that they can really meet each other in an, in a, in an activist space that allows for coordination of both timing and, and you know, messaging uh, so that we can really maximize the power that we, that we as, as working people all over the planet uh, have. Um, and the ultimate goal of, of doing so, of, of creating that coordinatory, of building that coordinatory muscle um, is to, in the long run, be able to really, you know, challenge Amazon's power uh, uh, all at once in different places. And so, you know, we start uh, we started with our coalition and realizing that our that our power at the moment is is perhaps not always, um, you know, not always just as concentrated as Amazon's is. But we started last year by planting, you know, a whole multitude of of axes at the at the big trunk that is uh, that is, you know, Amazon's uh, empire. Uh, and we're, we've been gradually building out uh, our power and our capacity to to strike Amazon and really make it feel, uh, ju- you know, just how how enormous our power can be when we stand united. And I think if you if you look at, um, you know, the the development of our coalition, and if you look at the transformation of 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 the the scope of the day of action from one year ago when we had our first day of action on Black Friday 2020 to this year, uh, Black Friday 2021. I think you can see that we're we're succeeding. We're succeeding in expanding. We're expanding, ex- succeeding in bringing in more and more groups into our fold. Um, and ultimately, you know, I am sure that Amazon is getting nervous because if you have uh, just one strike last year and we'll have multiple strikes this year, like the question, what are we going to see next year? 
right? Last last year we had uh, actions in in about you know twelve countries. This year it will be at least double that, um, and so. Our strategy of you know building this transnational and cross-sectional front, uh, I think, has been uh, succeeding, and I fully anticipate that it will just keep growing uh, uh, in the in the future as Amazon aggressively tries to expand uh, at the expense of workers and their communities and our planet. And you said that there are more strikes planned for this year versus last year. Can you tell me specifically about what the worker actions were at Amazon facilities last year versus this year? I know. You know, I ask because it's sort of uneven, right? I mean, Italy, for example, tends to have more organized Amazon workers. Um, and so I just want to get a sense of sort of the levels across countries here of organization and planning. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as you very well know, and I think as many of your listeners will also know, um, you know, different institutional contexts across the globe allow for different degrees of mobilization. Um, you know, the labor regime in, in Italy and Germany um, however much it leaves to be desired, you know, is more permissive than that in the U.S. And so just realistically, it's much easier to to mobilize there than it is uh, here, let alone in countries like the Philippines uh, or, or Colombia, where um, workers that, for example, work in, in Amazon call, center, uh, call centers are really, you know, at risk uh, if they were to try to unionize and, and mobilize in the same way that, uh, as you were saying, people might do in Italy. Um, so there's a lot of variation. Uh, but uh, yeah, so last year, as I was saying, there were there were strikes in Germany in, in six different uh, uh, facilities. Uh, this year, at the very least, you know, and um, there will be more information to share soon. Uh, but at the very least, we'll have strikes in uh, France and in Italy um, in a, a wide number of uh, locations. And so that, you know, that gives us um, truly, to my knowledge, at least the first real transnational strike against Amazon, which is a very significant development. Um, and again, uh, soon there will be more information to share still. Uh, you know, obviously we don't, we don't want to give too much information away beforehand. But um, yeah, so this is, a very, this is a very significant development. And what it shows, I think, is that, um, is that this movement, which of course is, com- you know, is composed of a whole range of, of movements in, in a variety of places, um, is increasingly succeeding in, in becoming transnational in its outlook and in its instrumentorium. Um, and that I think is is very uh, yeah is is very telling, um, and it, it, I think it also shows that transnational solidarity can definitely be more than than just a slogan, which is precisely what the Progressive International has always believed in and always tried to try to build. Yeah, so let's talk about what the Progressive International is. Probably a lot of people listening to this aren't familiar with it. Right. So the Progressive International is an organization that is working hard to try and build um, a transnational infrastructure to connect uh, progressive and left forces around the globe um, so that they you know no longer just as in the just as is the case with Amazon no longer have to fight their fights locally uh, and in you know relative geographic and thematic isolation but rather you know build transnational fronts um, and so I think many of the defining issues of our time whether that be income inequality or climate destruction, uh, and so many other issues, you know, they are intrinsically uh, transnational in nature. And so if you want to push back against those challenges, and if you want to speak truth to power, you want to challenge power really at a fundamental level, you need to, as progressives and as left forces around the globe, you need to be able to find each other uh, to coordinate together uh, and to to affect broad-based transformative change at that transnational level, right? We need to meet capital at its level, which is today global. And so Progressive International, um, in different ways, uh, tries to facilitate precisely such coordination 
um, in different ways. So the Progressive International has three different uh, main pillars. It has a movement pillar, which is the pillar that I'm active in uh, and which, which also um, brought forth the, the, the Make Amazon Pay campaign, um, where we connect movements and activists and unions and organizations and a, a whole range of, uh, of people who, who take to the streets to try and effect change. Um, then there is the blueprint, which connects uh, thinkers and policymakers, but also activists uh, to develop radical uh, transnational visions of transformative change. Uh, and then finally, there is the wire, uh, the third pillar, which is um, a, a transnational uh, kind of media. You know, obviously, these three pillars are very much connected. Uh, you know, the wire facilitates the circulation of, uh, of news uh, about progressive struggles uh, around the globe. Uh, and the movement, of course, tries to affect the vision set out in the blueprint, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, it's a coordinated, uh, it's an integrated uh, structure of, of different pillars of coordination on different fronts that all together try to build uh, the connective tissue that, that in our analysis, we need um, in our day to, uh, to build an internationalism that is, you know, that is suited to take on capital in the 21st century. Sure. And specifically, who started the Progressive International? When did it start? What countries are you talking about? I mean, specifics here of what this institution or organization or coalition, whatever you want to call it, actually is. Right. So initially, the Progressive International was a call to action uh, issued by um, the Sanders Institute uh, in Vermont. So um, founded by, by you know, the Bernie Sanders entourage, if you will, um, and Yanis Varoufakis, the uh, former Minister of Finance of, of Greece, um, now the the leader of the Mira 25 party in that country. Um, this was three years ago in 2018. Uh, and as an answer to that goal, our organization uh, started uh, to really give, you know, very concrete substance to this vision that I just set out. Uh, and at this point, we have a transnational membership of uh, a large number of progressive and left organizations. Uh, and we work in many, many different fronts. Uh, and I think the Make Amazon Pay campaign is, is a very clear example uh, of of this vision, uh, you know, of broad-based transformative change at the transnational level that I was talking about before. And my understanding is that you guys were involved in some EU-specific campaigns around Amazon and taxes. Is that right? And if so, can you talk about what the specific demands are? So the Make Amazon Pay campaign uh, has different kind of tiers, if you will. So one tier is the coalition, where we at this point have over 70 organizations and unions and movements around the world who have uh, committed to one set of common demands, 25 common demands that can be broken down into uh, three dimensions, make Amazon pay its workers, make Amazon pay for its climate impact and make Amazon pay back to society. Uh, this coalition is the group of you know, activists and, and, and worker allies, et cetera, that have organized our three global days of action so far. And then in parallel to, to this, there's also, you know, a broad kind of alliance of um, progressive and left lawmakers around the globe who have committed themselves to turning those 25 common demands, uh, which, by the way, you can find and I encourage people to do this on makeamazonpay.com, um, turn those into reality through their legislative work. And so last year, um, there were no less than 450 parliamentarians um, from 34 countries, if I'm not mistaken, uh, on all six continents, who came out in support of, of the common demands um, and who committed themselves to, yeah, to realizing uh, the Make Amazon Pay vision when it comes to 
you know, shifting the regulatory framework that has allowed Amazon to grow into the into the the, the behemoth that it has become, and so that includes uh, prominently, you know, not just working conditions, um, right? Around the globe, workers uh, should should receive higher pay, should receive, should should uh, you know de- enjoy the protections that workers everywhere, frankly, should should enjoy. Uh, legislation should also be drafted to make sure that the kind of you know, rapidly expanding footprint that Amazon has is just is just impossible uh, these days. Uh, and another, finally, you know, another demand uh, relates to tax justice because it's absolutely shocking that Amazon, for the past for the past you know decades, has mostly gotten away every single year by paying close to nothing in most jurisdictions in taxes, even though its success would be absolutely unimaginable if it wasn't for public institutions, uh, you know, from education to infrastructure that we've all paid for. Um, and so concretely, we have many allies in the European Parliament uh, who've proudly been pushing the Make Amazon Pay message uh, in tax-related committees in the European Parliament. Um, but truly, I mean, everywhere, also in the US, uh, from Ion uh, Omar uh, to a number of other, other progressive members of, of Congress, um, you know, they signed up to, the, to, the, to exactly the same uh, open letter, um, expressing the same transnational vision uh, of change. Uh, and, you know, we're fully anticipating that uh, as, as time goes by, more and more lawmakers everywhere will, will join the fold. Uh, because I think, you know, and this goes back to the previous point, I think people everywhere have already realized that transnational corporate power needs to be checked and needs to aggressively uh, be reined in. And now it's time to actually deliver change. And so our campaign is one contribution to do that. And it's, it's targeting Amazon because Amazon is such a clear symbol of so many things that are wrong with our system, but it's at the same time, one of many corporations uh, that embody uh, the systematic injustices that I think define uh, our global, global economic order. Sure. And at the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned the data centers. And I wanted to ask you about how Make Amazon Pay as a coalition thinks about AWS, right? So People who are listening to this are probably aware by now, but you know most of Amazon's profits come from that side of its operations, not necessarily the retail side that people are more familiar with. So it's a unique challenge, right? I mean, socialists like myself talk about worker power, but in fact, the warehouses might be less um, of an engine of profit than these this hosting the cloud, hosting the infrastructure of the internet. So I'm just curious how Make Amazon Pay thinks about that problem. Yeah, it's a great point, and it's it's uh, it's an absolutely key issue because, as you say, without a- Amazon Web Services, Amazon as such would not be a particularly profitable enterprise. One could argue. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's incredibly important. Um, you know, a- Amazon, and this is this goes back to to uh, to a lot of problems with what Amazon represents. Um, much of their power is concealed, right? So we see we see delivery trucks, we see packages everywhere. Uh, what you don't see is things like its enormous control over our digital infrastructure. So I think their their market share in cloud computing now approximates half of the global global market, um, and its customers include on that front include you know everything from the largest corporations in the world, you know, like Unilever, um, uh, to to you know big oil was already mentioned in this conversation. BP is is a very prominent uh, customer of Amazon Web Services. Really depends on the software that Amazon develops to to make its uh, its extractive operations run but even the CIA you know uh, and law enforcement agencies everywhere um, and it, so you know it's a, it's an interesting example if we if we focus specifically on on law enforcement right and it's a clear sign that 
Amazon's threat to people everywhere is is truly, you know, is as local and national as it is transnational. Um, so it's Amazon delivers uh, key software to in the United States to ISIS uh, deportation and detention machine, right? And it also partners with I think over two thousand police departments to surveil and criminalize black and brown communities. Uh, and this is something that the the No Tech for Apartheid campaign, uh, which we you know which we're also in close contact and in cooperation with, has drawn attention to. Um, but you know, in much the same much the same way, Amazon uh, is a key partner to the Israeli government, facilitating their uh, you know surveillance and and oppression of the Palestinians. Um, and so, so you know, this the fact that this is such a concealed part, I think, to many members of the public, if not to people listening to this podcast, is incredibly troubling. Um, and it's one of the reasons why it's definitely you know a very important part of our of our common demands is that. Amazon immediately suspends uh, the development of of, of you know uh, outright racist technologies like like face recognition uh, software uh, that they have used in you know in in both uh, this uh, in both the U.S. context and and abroad um, and um, yeah but it, at the same time it also pertains to to Amazon's um, infiltration in people's households. Uh, right, much the same technology there through Amazon Web Services has given Amazon access to the most intimate details about people's lives everywhere. Uh, and so, when we when we think about checking this power and dismantling the incredible stranglehold of this corporation over our lives, uh, data is is really a key key part of that work. Um, and I think the first step there is to making that visible to large parts of the population and making making visible the intersections between the two dots that I already connected just now. Um, so you know, its partnership with uh, with governments everywhere, um, its uh, its activities, its efforts to infiltrate into uh, the household, but also, uh, and here you know you can really see how how um, uh, different struggles are truly connected, but also in its warehouses, right? So Amazon would not be able to make uh, to make its warehouses run uh, in such a you know such a dystopic way if it wasn't for the intense control that it has over every single movement that a warehouse worker makes. Um, and it's, you know, this is, this is all about the supremacy of cloud technology um, and, and turning every single interaction, turning every single movement into a piece of data uh, that can be used to, to maximize profit and to, to commodify, uh, you know, every interaction, every action of every human being. Um, and so that sense, I mean, I think really this is a defining struggle that we have on our hands uh, for the 21st century to fight back against this, this dystopic use of data science. Um, so yeah, it's an absolutely key part of the work that we're doing. Um, the last thing I want to ask you about is at the start of this conversation, you mentioned some actions taking place in Cambodia, Bangladesh, and I just want to ask about that end of the supply chain. I think it's another thing that a lot of people maybe based in the United States or Europe are less aware of, which is what is the connection those workers have to a company like Amazon? And what specifically, if there are demands they specifically have for this action, what are they? Right. So um, you're right. I think a lot of people in the U.S. and perhaps also elsewhere are not aware of the fact that, uh, to give one example, uh, and it's a prominent one, uh, Amazon is a global garment empire. It's already in the U.S. Uh, the leading U- leading retailer of garment, uh, but it's also rapidly becoming a powerhouse when it comes to garment manufacturing. And so currently, according to the latest information that we have, Amazon has a an, an empire of 500 private uh, labels private label companies. Um, For those private label brands, they source directly from garment factories in the global south. 
Um, and there, Cambodia and Bangladesh uh, are probably you know the most important locations. Um, and you know it, it, it's not surprising that what goes down in those parts of the supply chain, uh, in some ways, mirrors what's happening in other parts of Amazon's empire. So there have been union busting campaigns in uh, uh, in, in Bangladesh that Amazon has, uh, well, at the very least, turned a bli- blind eye to. That in their form, right, the, like ev- the oppression of every attempt on the part of workers at collectivization is very reminiscent of the struggles that we see, for example, in Bassam, Alabama, right, or uh, in other parts of, of, of the global north. Uh, and so it's a clear sign that working class destinies are con- are connected, uh, of course, generally, but but certainly in this in this particular uh, struggle. Um, and so the demands are at the very least for Amazon to uh, just accept that it is a- accountable for what happens in its supply chain, um, especially as it's growing, as its uh, as its garment empire is growing. It's it's absolutely crucial um, that it is that it accepts responsibility for for the workers in those uh, places and it it owns up to what happens to them. So there are two particular cases that we're drawing attention to, uh, namely uh, that of Global Garment uh, in in Bangladesh, uh, which is uh, being publicized as uh, as as a matter of union busting, uh, and then there's the case of uh, Hulu Garment in Cambodia. Uh, both places uh, are, are factories from which Amazon sources directly. Um, and in both places, workers have been denied their rights, have not been paid properly, um, have been cheated out of what they are owed by their employers. And in both cases, Amazon has frankly just turned a blind eye and absolutely re- reject, you know, refused to engage with the matter. Um, and again, the, the, the form of this kind of exploitation is very similar to the form of exploitation that we see in other parts of the supply chain. Uh, and that's why we're rallying together. That's why we're mobilizing together. Yep. And is there anything else you want to say before we end this conversation about Make Amazon Pay, about Black Friday, or about the broader vision that you're working on here? I think it's just so vitally important that when we're taking on corporations of this magnitude, of with this amount of power, that it is more important than ever, I think we could we could say, uh, that, that all of us, right, anyone who, who remotely... Uh, feels like they are on the progressive left uh, sticks together and that we really invest in building transnational ties of solidarity. Um, I think the days of sectarianism have to be behind us simply because we cannot afford it. So people that are remotely with us, right, uh, and, and if they, if they you know, remotely adhere to the same principles and the same beliefs, we need to bind together. This is an age-defining struggle, really, uh, against a corporation that has so much power, a dizzying amount of power. Um, you know, I think uh, the Make Amazon Pay campaign shows that when uh, social democrats, when socialists, uh, when people of, you know, camps that sometimes don't see eye to eye on everything, when we stick together, we're so much more powerful and there's so much more that we agree on than, you know, than that which separates us. Um, and I think this this campaign has started to show, or so we hope, it started to show just how much we can do in terms of mobilization when we try to look across ideological ideological separations and work together. Um, and we hope to sort of add that, uh, you know, overcoming of ideological barriers to the overcoming of geographic and, and activist barriers uh, that our campaign has been has been trying to realize. Sure. I think that is a great way to end it. I mean, the one thing I sort of say snarkily sometimes is that the one upside of Amazon is, is bringing us all under the same um, employer, as it were. We're all sort of living inside Bezos's world. 
Um, so if that's, you know, if the boss is the best organizer, then you could say that Bezos certainly is pretty good at it. <laughs> Casper, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out. I know it's a busy week for you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me again. Thanks as ever to my producer, Sarah Hurd, to Jackman Magazine, to Casper for coming on the show, and to Nate Roos for the music. Talk to you all soon. Bye. <laughs>